it's all about trying to get them to learn and grow and how do I get them to do this without me stepping in and actually physically doing it myself. I kind of secretly hope that one time they will order the, con the concrete <laughs> wrong because they will never do it again. <laughs> Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast. This is a podcast where we delve into the extraordinary careers and success that people have had and get an understanding of how you paved your way through your career to get to where you are today. So here we have with us Yasmin. So Yaz is a highly accomplished senior project engineer currently delivering Cross River Rail with CPB contractors. Yaz has developed her career over 11 years of experience in the industry and has played a pivotal role in the successful delivery of seven diverse civil and infrastructure projects spanning across Queensland, New South Wales and the Northern Territory. Throughout her career, Yaz has emerged as a prominent figure and a role model for women in the engineering and construction sector. Her unwavering dedication to career development, industry culture improvement and female representation in the construction field sets her apart as a true advocate for change. She believes in the power of diversity and strives to create an inclusive environment that promotes equal opportunities for all. Recognising the importance of collective action, Yaz co-founded CPB Contractors Queensland Women in Construction Network, which was an influential platform aimed at empowering and advancing women professionals in the field. Through this initiative, she strives to raise the profile of women in construction, break down barriers, and create a supportive network for aspiring female engineers. Additionally, Yaz's passion <laughs> for fostering talent and driving positive change has led her to collaborate with peak on industry bodies. She played an instrumental role in establishing the Young Construction Professionals Committee with the Queensland Major Contractors Association. As a leader in this committee, she envisages transforming Queensland construction industry to attract reward and retain quality professionals, which I think is something we can all get behind. Yaz believes that by setting an example and actively engaging with industry stakeholders that she can affect meaningful change and shape a future that promotes diversity and excellence. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I wanted to tell people a little bit about you because I saw you speak at an event recently, slowly kind of stalking you like a widow on LinkedIn and loving <laughs> everything that you speak about as well, because I think so much of what you talk about and what you promote is really giving people an inside view of what the industry is really like as well and breaking down some misconceptions as well mm -hmm. about what it means to be an engineer on a construction project too. So tell us a little bit about your journey, Yaz, and how you came to choose engineering, this <laughs> dream career you found. Um, it was a dream career. Probably way back when I was a child, I used to build a lot of small projects and stuff with my father, like tables and bit of house renos, a couple of those. But when I was about 12, my uncle was talking to me and he said, oh, what are you going to do when you grow up? <laughs> and I said, well, I want to build stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so he turned around and said, well, why don't you become an engineer? So here we were, 12 years old, and I decided that's going to be my career pathway. Yeah. Took that all through school. I did design and tech, did engineering. My history teacher said, oh, you could be an archaeologist. I stamped my feet and said, no, I'm being an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and then it wasn't quite all smooth sailing, you could say. So I know we were just talking about before about science. Yeah. I couldn't do the math. Mm. So 
I struggled really hard with understanding math in grade 11 and probably grade 12 as well. Yeah. And my teacher pulled my parents in and said, well, she needs to think of a new career path. She can't be an engineer. She can't do the math. So my father came home that day and said to me, well, you're going to stick it to her. Um, <laughs> we'll get you a tutor. I had a tutor the next week and history is history. I went straight into uni and yep. did my engineering degree. I love that your parents said that to your dad that says, yes. you know, we're going to stick it to her. <laughs> I love that because so many kids at that age get deterred by saying you're not good at that particular yeah. topic or that subject in school. Yeah. So with the tutor, how long did you get the tutoring for? I probably only had her for about a month or two and I think it was a lot clearer by the time I got to university stage that it was just the way that I was being taught Mm. and everybody learns differently. So her method of teaching me in high school was to kind of just do it out of a textbook. Yeah. Whereas for me, I'm more of a I need to learn at my own pace by myself in a way and know what I'm looking at by reading it through and then trying to solve it myself rather than getting too much assistance that way. Yeah, okay. And when you go to uni, that's what you have to do. You don't have the teachers there that are right standing behind you saying this is what you need to do to learn and yeah. you have to do it all self-taught. So, How do you think that style of learning, how do you think that impacted you going through the engineering degree? Do you think it was helpful at university to have your style of learning or do you have some... Yeah, I mean, uni offers tutoring sessions as well, and I did a couple of those. I tutored a couple of people while I was going through uni, but Mm. a lot of it is up to you. And when you go to university, you're generally there to pick what you want to do in your career. So you want to be there, Yeah, which means you want to learn. Yeah. So it makes a huge difference then when you're there for yourself. I like that your parents spoke around, or your dad, I think it was, or your uncles had said, you want to build stuff, you should be an engineer. What do you think some of the misconceptions are around engineering though? Because like, I don't know if a lot of people realise that engineers go out and build stuff and not design stuff. Yes. Well, they do, but they do both. (laughs) Yes, I'm finding that very often. So I did a recruitment a couple of months ago, actually a bit of a recruitment drive and these are my own stats. I did them off my own books and found that all the people that I asked, only 59% actually knew what construction was. What? They'd never considered engineering to be in the construction space, only the design space. Right. And they didn't understand what we actually did out there. So you get a lot of people that just, they understand like the design component, the theoretical, but yeah, there's no knowledge of what a site is like or how it physically gets built in person as opposed to on paper. So tell us more around, so day in the life of Yaz, what does it look like being on site for you and what does a normal day look like? So night for me at the moment, <laughs> coming, oh God, yes. <laughs> coming off night shift, it's a lot of fun. So I'll spend probably half my day out on the site just seeing what's going on out there with my supervisors and the work crew, seeing how they're running. It also includes organising what they're doing, getting materials, making sure that they're building as per the design. Mm. So rather than actually doing the design aspect of it, it's more this is the design, how are we going to deliver it? Yeah. What are the skills that you think that you've had to develop or something that might have surprised you when you went out on site? Are there things that you didn't learn at uni that you have to learn on the job? Yeah. So people management skills is a huge thing, which (laughs) (laughs) kind of surprised me, I guess. Well, it didn't, it didn't. I knew it was coming. It's about trying to get people to do what you need them to do and they don't necessarily follow the same method that you would. 
I've even got my own engineers now that I'm managing in a team and it's all about trying to get them to learn and grow and how do I get them to do this without me stepping in and actually physically doing it myself. (laughs) Otherwise they won't get anywhere in their career either, so it's detrimental to them. So Someone once said to me, every time you step in you rob that person of the opportunity to grow. Yeah, correct. It's just like a simple thing, isn't it? But it's stuck with me of going, if you step in and do it for them, you don't give them the opportunity to learn what they need to learn for the lesson. Yeah, so it's a learning curve for me as well to try and step out and let them step in and up. (laughs) And what have you learned from leading teams? Because obviously in a construction project, the stakes are high too, right? If there's an error, that would be really hard to step away from. Yeah, you think that. And I try and drive this in is if something goes wrong, in a sense, yes, it, it can go bad. But if they, like, say, order the wrong concrete or something, they'll never do it again. So for me, I always try and I kind of secretly hope that, yeah, one time they will order the the concrete (laughs) wrong because they will never do it again. (laughs) And I know this because I've done it when I started. (laughs) But um, it can be fixed. Yeah. And there's enough of us around as well to watch what's going on that anything chaotic we can fix in the long run. But. It's such a good mindset to have because mm. sometimes you can catastrophize things and mm-hmm. go, if this goes wrong, this is going to be terrible. And I can imagine graduates and people new in the industry yeah. would be fearful of making a mistake. Well, that's it. And everybody looks at me and says, well, how do you know how to make a call? It's like, well, if I make the call and I've made it wrong, I'm the one that has to fix it anyway. So, <laughs> How did you get comfortable with making, I think this is a big thing as well when you're leading teams with making decisions and maybe not always knowing how it's going to go? Yeah, practice. (laughs) If I do it enough times with enough confidence, (laughs) eventually you just get used to it. And it does come from a bit of experience as well. Like it's not something that, I mean, yeah, I go into different fields and stuff, try different things I haven't tried before, but the concept's still the same. I still have a drawing that I've got to read, a standard that I've got to read, and then I've still got to deliver that. So. What about confidence as well? So confidence Mm -hmm. to to have like courage in your conviction of what decisions you make and things like that. Have you had an innate confidence? Is that something that's developed over time for you? Uh, Yeah, definitely developed over time. (laughs) My parents put me through speech classes. Really? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When I told my dad I was coming on a podcast, he goes, luckily we put you through all these speech classes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So there was a little bit of that, but also starting in the career, like my second job was a fire. Role, mm. And that probably instilled a bit more of a, I need to stand my ground, say what I think, kind yeah. of confidence. Yeah. Why do you think that? What was different about being FIFO to a Metro project? Um, well, it could just be because I started doing a FIFO job first, but I think it's also because it's more of a family orientated environment, I find, when yeah. you're doing FIFO. And if I wanted to talk to people I had to get to know them outside of work as well as during work because I'm living with them essentially. Mm. And that meant speaking up, saying my piece and then reflecting that through during a work day as well. Mm. Otherwise they'll just walk over me. What's it like having as well, because I've thought about this before, so if you're a FIFO, it's like a family, right, and mm-hmm. you're with them outside of work and inside work. How do you create the boundaries around professional and if you make friendships of trying to, sometimes you have to have hard conversations at work, right? Yeah, I didn't really find it too hard because you spend your work day, you're working. Yeah. At night, I mean, generally you're talking about work anyway because that's just the common thing that we have. Yeah. And then we all go on our R&R or on our break and 
we're separated. So yeah. it's a little bit easier because they could be flying to a different state or something. They wouldn't be flying to the same state. So I wouldn't see them outside of being in that work environment anyway. Yeah. So it's just while we're there, we tend to be more family with dinners and nice. yeah, going out in the town or whatever it is that we're in. So yeah. yeah. I've heard that a lot. A lot of people speak about projects. Is it a bit sad when you've worked with people for a couple of years and you've finished a project? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you think about it when you leave a role, like I talk to people all the time that might have been made redundant or had a restructure mm-hmm. and we all sometimes know that in the project sometimes there's either redeployment or, or redundancies. Yeah. So I always wondered if there's you miss people that you worked with. Oh, we're guaranteed to probably see them somewhere along the True. line again. Small industry, yep. right? And that's part of one of the things I was saying in a recent recruitment and career advice session was that whatever you know, chances are on whatever project that you're on, somebody's going to know who you are or where you've been. And and we were trying to instill into some of the new graduates that watch what you put on your resume and how you act at work because if you've been on a project, I'll get a resume on my desk and I'll see that they've been on a project where I know somebody oh, straight I up. Know. <laughs> you civil people, you know everyone. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> yeah, that's where that comes in. But it's good. I like being able to go to a new project, see somebody that I've worked with. I might not have seen them in five years Yeah. or even longer, but yeah. And listen, you can't hide from your past. You've left an organisation in a mm-hmm. in a bad way or you've done some not-so-ethical things. It's mm-hmm. really hard to escape in this industry because Very. so small, right? Yes. Yaz might call Bob, who knew Pete, who worked with you <laughs> at this job on structures. Yes. <laughs> and it always comes out in the end. Yep. With that in mind, it being a small industry, what advice do you give to graduates around how to hold themselves and carry themselves throughout their career? It's important to keep your contacts and your network that you've built up, but also you've got to watch what you do at work. You can't go out and be the party animal of, of the area and expect to come into your job drunk or something like that. It's mm. People remember, and unfortunately, if you do something bad when you're leaving a job, they're only ever going to remember that. They're not going to remember all the good stuff you did leading up to it. Yeah. I recently was talking to someone about this new phenomenon on TikTok of loud quitting and quiet quitting and things yes. like that. How damaging would that be for mm. this industry? I have heard of that and that's probably one of the things with all the industry groups that I'm a member of that we're looking into is something like the great resignation or the quiet quitting. And, yeah. and it's sad that that's the way that some people view the world. But yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if I want to do the job, I'm here because I like the job. Yeah. If I didn't like the job, I'd just completely resign. Yeah. I've worked hard to get where I am and if I want to do this job, I'm going to be here present for it. So. Yeah. And just so people are listening and you're not aware of what loud quitting and quiet quitting is, quiet quitting is where you come in, you do the bare minimum or just do your job and you don't go mm-hmm. above and beyond. And loud quitting is where you make it very well known that you're applying for other jobs. You make it very well known mm-hmm. that you're not happy. And the damaging side of that is, as you said, we're going to remember how a person exits a role. Yes. So it's important to think about the legacy leaving when you leave a position too. Mm-hmm. And we'll generally get a phone call as soon as somebody is on just about to leave saying, oh, we've got this resume. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of this person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yes. Yeah. Which is hard in recruitment too mm-hmm. because everyone knows everyone. So it's always going to be, it will always follow you. So yeah. I always had a saying as well, your integrity follows you always too. Yeah. Do the right thing by people. Do a really good job. Take pride in your work as well. Absolutely. People will remember that Mm -hmm. no matter how long ago they worked with you as well. 
So tell me more about some of the groups that you've founded sort of (laughs) so in your current organisation. What led to you wanting to do that? So in CPB Contractors, we've got a Queensland Woman in Construction or QUIC, as we call it. That's a kind of like a network place where we can connect all the women in the business. So we found that we had so many women spread out across different projects and because we are all over Queensland as Mm. well, this was a way for them to connect together, share their own issues or discuss any problems, things that they wouldn't normally share with their male colleagues or something. Yeah. And that's also a chance for us to get to network together and go to different events and see what the other women in the company are doing. Yeah. But yeah, we've, we started that last year, so it's picking up and we're doing a few new events in the next couple of months. So mm. trying to get as many women in CPB as possible to join up to that and be involved. If you learn anything through this group that surprised you or what have some of the lessons been from creating this group? I have actually learned that there's a lot more senior people, female members in our company than Mm -hmm. we thought. Mm -hmm. So there is that, but there's also the different types of roles that some of them do, what they've encountered at work. So Mm -hmm. something as simple as years and years ago, 20 years ago, when you couldn't get a bathroom Mm -hmm. or a female bathroom on a site, Mm -hmm. that's still happening. Really? Out there, Yeah. yeah. When you've got the male setting up the crib rooms and all that, sometimes they just have forgotten yeah. that you need to have a female bathroom. Mm. So I was quite surprised that stuff like that was still happening. Yeah, me too. And it is getting addressed like as soon as it's picked up, but mm. the fact that it is still happening, yeah. Mm. So issues like that are things that we discuss. And mm. What kind of importance do you think this kind of support provides for the women in your group? I think it kind of creates a sense of community as well, that we're all in it together, Yeah. Um, that if we need some mentorship, we can find somebody in our group that could potentially mentor us or help each other out. Yeah. I wanted to go back to what you talked about. A couple of comments you've made throughout our chat have been about your parents and talking to them about getting you tutoring Mm -hmm. and talking to you about, oh, well, we'll stick it to them. You know, just the ethos and values and attitude. Thinking back to your parents and how you were raised, I'm a parent, so I'm interested, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure some other parents are interested. What do you think some of the values that they instilled in you and how did they go about that when you were growing up? Probably in the way that I work as well. For me, loyalty is a big one. Mm. And I've built my network up for the last plus 10 years now that Mm. I don't want to break that network. Mm. It's done good by me. So if they're doing well by me, I'm going to do well by then. Mm. And that's something my parents brought me up on. Mm. The other thing is work as hard as you can. Don't do a half-assed job. Mm. And I think it's just over the years that's just we're all work, work, work. <laughs> <laughs> but enjoy what you're doing is the important thing. So they were very strong in me picking a job that I would enjoy and yeah. not be stuck in a job that I wouldn't enjoy. Yeah. As long as I love what I'm doing, then it's not work, I guess, for me. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. We wouldn't notice the hours as much if you're enjoying the work that you do. No, and that's probably the great thing about my job too. And being in construction, I get to go on site. So I'm not an office person. Yeah. (laughs) hate the office. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell I'm dressed in orange. (laughs) Yes, I hate picking out a new outfit every day, so I'd rather have the same thing. (laughs) I love being outside too. And I always make joke with my husband, if I'd known that engineering is what going out, leading teams and Mm -hmm. being outside, like I live at an acreage with animals, I love Mm -hmm. being outside. 
So I think I'm glad that we're chatting about what it really looks like because I think maybe some women that may not have considered it or even young guys that may not have considered it as an mm-hmm. industry may consider it because there's so much work and we yeah. don't have enough people. And it's more hands-on, I find. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, I like being in the very thick of it and the centre to physically build something that you've seen on paper. Like, yeah. Yeah. Construction skill shortage. We're still mm-hmm. struggling to find people and have been for as long as I can remember. Now we've got the compounding effect of an ageing population. So mm-hmm. we know that we've got an ageing population and lower birth rates. Yes. So we've got those challenges that we're up against as well. How can we attract people to the industry? What should the industry be doing? Because we've got more infrastructure to build. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts around that? So this is part of our new group with Queensland Major Contractors Association. Mm -hmm. So we've formed a committee called the Young Construction Professionals. Mm -hmm. Now, the aim in that is to change the perception of the industry Mm. and how we're going to do that with attraction, rewarding, retention. And from that, we've formed three different focus groups. Mm. And then one of those focus groups is actually the culture yeah. And it's how we're going to address the industry culture. What can we do to change the industry culture and the perception? So the idea is that being a young construction professional, I hope, I'm still young. <laughs> well, you are to me. Okay. Yep. Um, so the idea behind <laughs> that. <laughs> the idea behind that is to kind of bridge a gap, I guess, yeah. that we're still talking to people who are ready to either start their career or have just started and talk to them as people who are not quite too far in their career that we're out with the ages. Mm. So doing that, we're hoping that it'll encourage a few more people to come through. And we've got another focus group as part of that, which is the training and education. Yep. So we're going to tap into our schools and universities and uh, do a few talks and see from our perspective, I guess, in our young perspective, yeah. that this is what we enjoy about our jobs, this is what you can do, this is where your career could take you, these are your options in construction. Yeah. And kind of address that. Also, Constructionarium, I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, I have. Yes. I, I actually so, was there on a panel for one of their oh, builds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're uh, doing a little bit of work with that to help, yeah, show that. The young construction professionals actually have a presence and we want to do something to change this. Yeah. So most recently we've got a survey that's going to come out towards the end of this week to get a gauge on what people are feeling in the industry and what they think. Yeah. Um, So the more young people we can get to do that survey, the better, and then we can kind of head into the direction that they're looking for. Yeah, I love that. Fill in the survey, people. Make sure you send me the link and I'll share it through our networks too and try and get them to fill it in. Hmm. Okay, then that being said, what are the top three things you love about your job? Oh, okay. So (laughs) the biggest one is the finishing of a project. There is nothing like better than finishing a project, seeing what you've built. I've taken the first train off a uh, out of a station that I've built yeah. on a track that I've built. That's cool. <laughs> Been the first person to drive over a bridge that I've built. So, and hopefully I'm working on a cable stay bridge at the moment. So hopefully get to walk through that. <laughs> yeah. That's probably number one. Yeah. <laughs> number two is the challenges. For some reason, I like high-pressure jobs. I don't know why, <laughs> but it keeps my mind ticking can over. Can relate, can relate. Why? Yep. <laughs> why? Why do we do it? Yeah. I find that once it starts slowing down, I get bored. But no, I like the high-pressure jobs. It keeps my brain ticking. 
and then it just brings new uh, ideas and stuff that I can see how I can create something. Mm. And then also I guess the third thing, probably actually being able to get in there and build mm. myself. So another thing I have try and spread out is give it a go. And yes, I might be an engineer, but until you have tried to screed concrete or have tried to operate an excavator, I don't recommend it without being VOC. <laughs> Love the <laughs> VOC just disclaimer. <laughs> Verification of competency, people. <laughs> yes, but until you've tried that, you don't know how. I mean, we're standing there telling the guys how to do their job, essentially. Mm. Until you've tried it yourself, mm. I don't believe that we should be telling them anything. Yeah, that's right. interesting because I guess if you haven't operated the machinery yourself mm-hmm. and a lot of engineers come through that engineering university background and there's mm. being curious as well and yeah. finding out why they might be doing things a certain way. Yeah, and I've operated a batch plant before, just I don't push some buttons but, yeah. <laughs> you know, I gave it a go and yeah, yeah sat in an excavator, moved that around. Yeah. Well, couldn't screed concrete very well, but what I is gave it a go. concrete? So flattening it out, troweling. Yeah. Um, that would be hard. It is. It <laughs> like how? That, that would be a yep. fine art. And bull floated too, which weighs a ton. <laughs> What's a bull float? It's like trowel on the end with a really long stick. So. Yeah, and so that is that how you flatten it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to look oh, funny on the video, isn't it? It would almost be therapeutic, you know, just getting yes. in there and... Just yep. hammering that out. Construction does sound fun. But it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it does sound fun. People don't understand. Look, you can just hammer yeah. hammer some concrete. Like people are going to do this axe throwing and, you know, those places where you just go and don't trash the construction site. <laughs> no, obviously use that energy. I think what you talked about as well that interests me as well is the, the adrenaline that yep. you speak about. I think it's important that people, when they're looking at a career pathway, it's just understanding, you know your top three things, right? Mm-hmm. Can't count the amount of people I ask, what do you love about the job? And they can't tell you. Probably means you're in the wrong job. Yeah, exactly. You should yeah. know what it is you love so you mm-hmm. can chase more of that and do more of that. And if you don't, figure it out. The hard part is trying to find the top three. <laughs> yeah, I know, because you obviously have lots of aspects that you like. Yeah. But you wouldn't be a person sitting in an engineering office doing design all day. No, I could not do that. In an office, inside. And I can't do the math, remember. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Tutor beside you. No, but yeah, I think it's about recognising what you want to do and building a life mm-hmm. that takes into account everything that you love, which I think you've really done well. And that's a testament to you and your parents, I think, that your parents helped you with that as well. And suggesting engineering as well was a good one. Yeah. Well, that wasn't even something I'd thought of. So yeah, I've never swayed from that path and I don't know how old I am now, (laughs) 15 (laughs) years or something (laughs) to be an engineer. And you still love it, which is great. What's your future look like? Where do you see yourself going long-term with this engineering career? What lights you up about the future? I'll probably take the general engineering path yep. way career-wise, but outside of that is probably more of a trying to encourage other women to come into the industry now. So that's a huge thing for me at the moment. When I first started, I didn't really notice. I thought it was just standard. To me, it was just, a, oh, yeah, I'm in a male-dominated industry. It never actually occurred to me that I was in a male-dominated industry until I started a FIFO job. Yeah. So over the last few years, I'd probably say more, I've noticed Mm. difference. And looking back, there's probably a lot of things 10 years ago even that I probably wouldn't accept anymore. Mm. So to get an idea, my first job 
not with CPB but another company, was through a work experience program Mm -hmm. and they were trying to, this was back when companies were doing a lot of women promos and we're trying to get females into the industry, (laughs) come and work for us. So I got a job with this company for unpaid, (laughs) unpaid to start with as an undergrad. There was three of us Mm -hmm. and my sole job, and they had a similar job in different departments, was to pretty much take notes, type up meeting minutes do a lot of printing and binding up all the printing and training manuals and stuff. Oh. And that's what I did for three months. Oh, that's not engineering. <laughs> so that was my very first. No QA? <laughs> well, it was in the QA team. Okay. But, you know. <laughs> so that was my introduction to engineering and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and a person who doesn't like the office <laughs> sitting in an office doing some printing. And binding. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I did it wrong too the first time. <laughs> And that's what the other two women were doing as well in different departments. So at the time, I was like, okay, this is what engineering is about. And I had some male colleagues who went to the same uni as me, and they were in the same company doing a site engineer role. So they were out on site every day. Yeah. Um, But at the time, I didn't see that wasn't quite right. Yeah. But now looking back at it, I think, well, why? Why were we stuck in the office and they got put out on site? Yeah. So they've definitely changed over the years, 10 years later, and they're a lot more involved. A woman gets to actually do the proper graduate program and rotate around, which is, I think most companies have a two-year graduate program these days where they can rotate in different roles. So I think it's really important that you talked about that, though, because you've got to remember when you bring in an undergrad in, sometimes it can be that temptation for... And it should never be different on gender, you know, Mm -hmm. first and foremost, but also it should never be that temptation to just use it as a lackey to do admin. Mm -hmm. You want that person to get engaged with your company and the work that they do on site. So you need to get Mm -hmm. them out with their site engineers and show them what it looks like, you know. And this is something I strongly believe in with undergraduates, regardless of gender, is they're not there to do your data entry and your paperwork. Mm. They're there to learn something. So give them a little piece that they can look after, whether it just be a single pour or something. Mm. They can start that from scratch. They can read the single drawing that they've got, raise the quality control, order the material for that themselves. Yeah. yeah. They're not there to be essentially your secretary. No. And I hate engineers that treat their undergrads like that. It's terrible because... It's a strong word, but... <laughs> yeah, no, because you know what it is as well? This is our future generation of engineers mm-hmm. coming through. Get them excited about becoming yeah. an engineer. Getting them to take your minutes and do your binding or sit there and take notes in your meeting, that's not why they studied engineering. No. And remember when you were an undergraduate. Remember and you hated you... that. Yeah. And, but that's the other view that a lot of people see is that, oh, well, we did our time doing that too when we were undergrads. It's like, well, you didn't like it then, so why would they like it now? Yeah. I think it's also where you're at right now, which is really important, is challenging some of the stuff that is we've always done it this mm-hmm. way. Okay, so maybe in the past, you know, undergraduates were used to be luckies or to do the stuff you don't want to do, but is that really setting up you as a manager or the company for future success? And the answer is no. No, and that's where our retention starts to come in as well. Exactly. I mean, we're losing people because all they see themselves as secretaries or people who type up stuff. So Yeah. 
Yeah. You started out doing the binding and that sort of stuff and thinking, oh, my goodness, what <laughs> have I done? Yaz wants to be out on projects and Yaz is in an office. So what kept you going through that as well? Partly because I was nearly finished my engineering degree and I was like, I've already paid for this. Next <laughs> <laughs> <Hex> debt's done. <laughs> and I was that close to finishing. But also didn't actually get a job with them. That was back in or. Oh, I think every single grad program on every company just about was getting abolished because it was a low time. Nobody could get jobs anywhere at that point. It was just a bad year, I think. Mm. And so I didn't end up getting a job with them, but I got a job with CPB, well, Leighton's back then, Mm. and jumped straight onto it. And it was first out uh, next week later, I think, I was Mm. on a job in APL&G. Yeah. Miles, (laughs) Miles, yeah, <laughs> my first bipay <laughs> role, <laughs> and probably three months later, I was learning how to drive an excavator. Oh, <laughs> awesome! I was like, "This is what I'm here for." <laughs> you just had me thinking, and I'd never questioned it before. When I was in school, I wanted to be a vet, and remember, mm-hmm. I told you before, I wasn't that great at science, and so mm. when we did industry placement, I got put in admin. I didn't mm. get the opportunity to do it because I wasn't good at science. Yeah. So, and then I ended up going for a year and studying marketing and journalism before doing psychology because, again, wasn't good at science. So I think that the lesson here for a lot of people is just because you might not be good at a certain subject, if you mm-hmm. are passionate about a career and you're interested in that career, there's always a pathway. Yes. Whether you have to go get a tutor, whether mm-hmm. you have to study something else for a year at uni and improve your GPA if it's a really competitive mm-hmm. course, it's worth doing. So the other thing, I was lucky in my school, I guess, that they offered a early admission into uni mm. if you did one of their engineering courses. Oh. So I went that pathway just in case. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get through this math, so I was like, well, you've got to take me now. <laughs> if I pass this I'm uni ahead. course, <laughs> doesn't matter what my OP score is. In the end, it didn't matter either way, but that was my secondary pathway. Isn't it annoying though sometimes when you're doing a degree and you go, for me, psychology, we did a lot of stats and Mm -hmm. I was not good at maths and I really struggled. That was my hardest subject. Many times falling asleep. And back then we used to have the computers, like the stats labs. So you'd go and do stats because you had to use these computers. Many times come in, falling asleep, been in doing an Mm all-nighter. And I'm like, I'm never going to use this again. This data and research, what do I do every day in my job now? Research. It's so annoying when sometimes you think you're never going to use it in your degree (laughs) and then it strikes up and you're like, oh, algebra was handy. Or, yes, I do need to be able to. Uni is all about teaching yourself how to learn, I guess. I think so, yeah. yeah. And being curious. not necessarily the content, but it teaches you how to look up what you need to know. Yeah, obviously that was uni so long ago. I'm sure it's changed now. And they're even talking about in schools now changing the way that we're teaching children now. I was talking Mm -hmm. to my daughter's prep teacher and she was talking about that. They're trying to encourage that curiosity and how to seek the information. So Mm -hmm. instead of just showing you what the info is, is how could you find that out? Yeah, yeah. So speaking of the future... What do you think AI, what impact do you think AI is going to have in so the construction? So I didn't tell you my third focus group. No, because I'm really fascinated with AI. Our, Ask my team. They're like, yes, Laura. I'm like, there's a new thing in AI. So our YCP group, innovation and ESG. Yep. We're trying to tackle the obvious things with government's new initiatives about climate control and whatnot. So we are looking into how we can recycle materials and using that in construction, like mm. the recycle materials within construction yeah. and what materials that we can change mm. that we already have to make it just more environmentally friendly. But the big thing that I'm really excited for in that focus group is about the digital revolution as well. Yes. So I'm finding 
and you probably find this too, is that we've got all this technology there and a lot of companies do a lot of promos about, oh, we've got this new technology that will do all this. But other than their initial release of, here's a video, this is what this can do, I haven't actually seen it on any projects, mm. like in use. Yep. It might be on that one. Yep. But following that, I've never actually seen it being followed through. Mm. So I don't know if it works or not. But then you've got all the standard software that we're trying to implement, so something like electronic dockets. Mm. You go out in the field there and our supervisors are still using paper dockets because it's easier for them. Mm. So it's trying to change their mindset from paper to electronic to start with. Mm. And that's just a baby step that we haven't quite gotten right yet. Mm. And I think a lot of it is to do with they won't use it because it's not user-friendly for them for one, but Mm. also as soon as something doesn't work for them, it's like, oh, that's it. We're going back to paper. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, we can't. Because I also think it's just that implementation piece. It's seeing it through and ultimately hit the nail on the head. If it's not easier for the end user, mm-hmm. if it's too hard for the end user, then they're going to keep going back to what they know. I mean, we do our safety inspections on an app, which is great and it's all there. But if it takes too long to load you'll find that a lot of the people won't use it because they can't be bothered waiting for it to load. <laughs> exactly. And we've got sometimes the issue people don't think about as well as remote sites and the internet mm-hmm. connections, you know, being set up in mm-hmm. a donga, you might be not having the best internet connection in the middle yeah. of the Northern Territory at a remote site. So there's a lot of challenges with construction mm-hmm. and technology that... Yeah, so the technology is there for us to use. We don't necessarily use it until it's easy enough to use, but it does still have a long way to go and... Those PR videos that you see, they are the the way that we're probably heading towards, but Mm. until they get that right, nobody's going to use it. No. I think that AI will be interesting for the industry because AI is already impacting recruitment and so we're always talking to our team about how can you leverage it to help your job Mm -hmm. but being very careful that you don't take away your IP and the knowledge you have and the human element of hiring too. So it's definitely transforming in our landscape AI. The hard part about engineering is what the data on chat GPT is old, right? And technology and ways of building projects and things and materials is changing so rapidly. It may be harder until the data catches up. Be yeah. interesting to see how it's going to impact. I actually find chat GPT quite interesting. I've used it a couple of times. Yeah, how many engineers use chat GPT? What have you, I Just use, type in your question. <laughs> we use it. So we do a thing in recruitment. A lot of the way we search is Boolean searching, particularly yep. if it's like an executive search. So you can use chat GPT to... And I have some of my friends that are internal will send me text messages and say, can you help me with this Boolean search? And so, because they know I'm obsessed with AI, you can ask it questions to set up search terms and things like that. You can use it for data. Again, told you the stats are coming eventually handy, but there's certainly ways you can use it from our end. What about in engineering? Uh, Well, I actually haven't used it for engineering (laughs) yet. I've used it to come up with some ideas on what to talk to people about. yeah. Yeah, before I go into a meeting or something, it's like, well... This is the dot points. Can you turn it into an email or a speech oh, cool. or something? Yeah. So. I've heard of it being good if you're not naturally wanting to do emails and comms and, mm. and you don't find that like. And engineers are not that great at 
communicating to Seville no. public. So. I did not know. I would not believe that. We no, tend to go in a little bit of technical background and jargon that nobody else understands but us. <laughs> so it's good for translating. My husband did IT and engineering and then a lot of the questions I say, you're answering this very logically. Can we talk to the emotion? He's like, you ask me a problem, I'm solving the problem. <laughs> problem, problem. Yeah. It's like, what are you building out there? And then we go on to all these pieces that nobody would even know what meant. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that about engineers. I think the fascination I've always had with people that study engineering is I come from a more emotive kind of mindset and mm-hmm. you come from a logical. So yes. <laughs> it's always interesting to have discussions and understand where the other person is coming from and try and see it through another person's lens. Yeah, well, I've done a couple of videos on what we built on Cross River Rail and stuff and I've had to retake quite a few of them. <laughs> Can you just say this? <laughs> Do they not love your engineering uh, way of saying it? Think of the public. <laughs> public. Yes, more emotion here. I built this. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard if you think logically to change that. 100%. Yeah, it is. Hmm. Also hard if you're not naturally a logical thinker to break it down logically, but that's yep. why people like you are great for people like me. Yeah. So what's the impact or legacy you want to leave from the work you have been doing? Because you've done so much in that innovation, in getting more people into the industry and women into the industry. What's the legacy that you want to leave from the work you do? I guess even coming here today, it's more inspiration. Hmm. So I was a big believer in you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And I'm trying to be that person rather than you can't be what you can't see. I will be the person that you can see. I'm aiming for to show new females and the new generation out there that they can do something with their career. And part of that's like trying to make Nilebic itself obsolete, I guess. Yeah. As much as we all love the networking events and they can still continue, can but... We, can we keep the awards? Yes. <laughs> Just can we keep the awards night? <laughs> Great night. <laughs> but it's more about achieving equality enough that we yes. don't need that anymore. Yeah. And I'm trying to be, I guess, that inspiration that the other woman can look up to and the more that can do that, the more that will come into the industry and we will achieve that 50% yeah. minimum. So I totally agree with what you're saying and I think the more people you can show people a lens into the work you do and why you do it and how you got there and that, no, you weren't necessarily great at maths but you no. overcame that, the more people might be listening and go, that sounds fun. Or I do cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, you do do cool stuff. I mean, I don't have an engineering mindset, but I love people and I love managing mm-hmm. people. And so I hear what you do and it sounds fun. Yeah. It sounds fun because every day is different. You're not in an office and it's a very dynamic yes, role. Yes, I'm trying to show how fun the construction industry can be. <laughs> yeah, you, it sounds fun to me. And I think that you have demonstrated that. And I would encourage people you're on LinkedIn and things like that. Yes. If you've got, are you open to if people are listening and interested in the career, oh, if they yeah, can reach out to you? Yeah. You're always so approachable. So mm-hmm. reach out to Yaz if you've got questions about the industry and you want to have a chat with her. She's mm-hmm. obviously clearly very passionate <laughs> about that. Okay. So I want to move in the rocket round, which okay. is a bit of fun, and just ask you a few questions to learn a bit more about the inner workings of Yaz. <laughs> so what's your favourite book? That's a hard one. I read a lot. <laughs> so my way of just kind of extracting myself from the world is to read. So I'll probably read about six books a week. Wow. (laughs) I do love reading too. Yeah. So I can't really pick a single book. I have a genre. I don't read documentaries Mm -hmm. purely because I need my brain to switch off for a bit. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I can do it. 
but if I start a book, I have to finish it once I start it. So I what's the genre that you like? Um, I'm more of an action or adventure kind oh. of. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Do you ever read Jack Ryan? I have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you do like them? Okay, yep. that's what my husband reads. So <laughs> I know the kind of books. Yes. <laughs> okay. And what podcast are you listening to at the moment? Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. Yes. Ah. I, I'm a trivia buff. So <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yes, I have a trivia team. We go to trivia once a week. So. Not to that. Like, I'm terrible at trivia, so if I have a trivia thing, I'll be, I'll be calling yeah. you up. Yeah, once a week I do different bars around Brisbane. Oh, wow. Where, yep, try different trivias. <laughs> and I'm going to ask this one, but I might know the answer because you're doing night shift. Coffee or mm-hmm. wine? Oh, so <laughs> both. But um, no, <laughs> coffee I can't get through. A day without coffee, whereas wine I can. <laughs> How many do you like coffees? Would you have a night shift? Oh, I don't really count. Probably, <laughs> probably more than that's healthy. <laughs> three? Yeah, probably at least okay. three. That's fine. <laughs> but I like coffee, so I get cut off from my team if I have too much coffee. They'll say, "Lauren, have you had more than two coffees?" No. What's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah. Why haven't I? Like-? Yeah, I get cut off. So. You wouldn't be able to stay awake, though. I think it's the habit of having a hot drink in my hand at all times. Yeah. So I tried to switch the tea for a bit, but it's not as fun. (laughs) No, it's not fun. People that drink coffee have more Mm. fun. That's my firm belief. Favourite holiday destination? Oh, Iceland. Oh, have you been there before? Yes. Beautiful. Loved it. It's on my bucket list. Yes, it's amazing. And not many people can say that they've been to Iceland as well. But the views are brilliant. Yeah, okay. And the food? Yeah, food. I love the food. There's like fish and seafood and they do really good homemade style recipes, which are quite nice. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I haven't been there. You've got to go in October is the best time. October. Okay. Because it's not too cold. It's just coming into winter and the northern lights are just coming out. So Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's on our bucket list and my husband's too. White Christmas or summer Christmas? White. White Christmas. Snow person. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I, I thought with Iceland I kind of yeah. knew that. Cats or dogs? Cats. Yay! <laughs> the cats are so happy. Do you have any cats? Uh, well, I guess you could say I left it with my parents. Yeah, okay. So you've got a cat that's <laughs> yeah. hanging out with your parents. I'm never home long enough to look yeah. after an animal So because yeah. I like moving around for work and yeah. I actually like moving around for work. So Anyway, the cat owns you, let's be honest. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, it was always it – always... And I like dogs but I just don't like the smell. <laughs> it has to be the cats. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And was your cat like a cat that showed you love or was it a cat that was like, oh, will pay you attention human when I feel like it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. We got yes. some, we got one for the cats, which is great. Yeah. And what makes you feel like you're home? Uh, so in the morning, my cup of coffee outside. Yeah. Um, I'm just moved house as well, so I'm still getting my bearings. Yeah. And my bed when I get home, like <laughs> yeah. going to bed. I don't that's know. The I've best got day. Yes, and I've got a new mattress topper called a micro cloud and it is like sleeping on a cloud. <laughs> Proudly sponsored to be for you by micro cloud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I totally want to get a micro cloud yes. now. You've got me convinced. Look, I think we're going to grab a coffee after this, by the way, yeah. because I think you need coffee. I do. All this talk of coffee has made, has yes. made me want some. <laughs> So how can people support you, Yaz, get behind you, learn more about you and the organisations you support? Yes, so LinkedIn's at the moment is my best way. Being the YCP group, so Young Construction Professionals, we're fairly new at the moment, but we are trying to get a bit more of a media presence. Yep. When we release the survey, that'll come through. Also, we might look at starting in a LinkedIn group for that. I'm not sure yet, but at the moment, my LinkedIn's the best 
method to go through all those awesome. avenues. Mm. And we'll make sure you, we share it as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on as a guest. I really think I love a lot of fun to chat with <laughs> and I really love you talking so honestly and openly about your experience in the career. If you're listening to the podcast, can I ask that you please like, subscribe, review, all that fun stuff. And if there's somebody that you think needs to hear this episode, a potential engineer, please make sure you share it because the more people that hear this, the all the future people, women generations, all the future women generations, <laughs> we need our fifty percent. Help them build doors. So thanks so much, Yaz. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next time.